Hi, everybody. I have someone new with me today, Joseph Selby. And Joseph has spent a lifetime studying quantum physics, the nature of reality, and is a lifetime 50-year-plus meditator now. And for him, the last book he wrote, uh, Physics of God, um, has an introduction by Amit Goswami because he and Amit are on a very similar page in understanding how this reality we're in works. But we don't seem to have a genuine understanding of mind when you consider that the world we're in is essentially nothing but a few particles and electrons in massive amounts of space. We're not solid. Nothing we see is solid. So everything we perceive seems to be a matter of our mind engaging with whatever our perceptive field can kind of put together. But right now it seems insane. So Joseph, let's talk about why why it is that our minds can be so vastly different, even observing the same thing before we start getting into the nuts and bolts of the quantum physics here. Well, I think you you made that point uh, as you were speaking, that the mind creates a picture for us. And it creates a picture that is what we're used to seeing. It's what our senses are able to uh, perceive. But as uh, you and I think most people know, the electromagnetic spectrum spectrum is far more vast than just the tiny little sliver of it that is visible light. And yet our senses perceive that area with invisible light, uh, with inherable sound, etc. And then the mind just takes that and, and creates a picture. When that goes away, the mind creates a different picture. That's the key, is that our senses are sending the data to the brain and the brain is offering that to mind and mind is saying, okay, this is the reality that you're focused on now. But if you focus on a different reality, you know, there are a lot of people who are psychic. There are a lot of people who have had profound experiences where they see their subtle body. As soon as they shift what they're perceiving, the mind obligingly creates that picture for you to see. So it's really all filtered through our individual and collective belief systems of what we view reality to be. And if we we're on another planet, it would be a completely different re reality. A chair wouldn't be a chair anymore. And so well, I wouldn't go that far because I think your belief system uh, points you towards having a certain experience. But there are many um, uh, stories of near death experiencers who said, I didn't believe in any of that. I was a complete atheist. I believed that when the body died, I died. And yet they had these profound uh, experiences of astral planes of other beings that were living and, and communicating with him or her. So belief system is only part of it. It's really what you actually perceive that is the key. It seems, however, just playing devil's advocate for a moment, we have a very narrow band of possibilities of what we can view, perceive, buy into, and so forth in any given realm, dimension, plane, planet, etc. So this is our playground with a certain set of, it seems, parameters and possibilities for what reality is as an Earth being for the most part, but we're going to get into super consciousness in a little while and we'll see that that's not true either. But it does seem to me in general to be a fairly repetitious, limited playing field for most people. Your thoughts on that? Well, it is very limited. 
And that's, in fact, sort of the premise of my book, Break Through the Limits of the Brain, because it's the brain that is creating that limit. We're, we're interacting with a world that is uh, displayed to us through what the brain perceives from the senses and what the brain directs our body to do. And even with that, it's quite a rich and amazing experience, correct? But it is also fundamentally limited that we are only seeing just in the same sense that visual, visual light is just a tiny sliver of the electromagnetic spectrum. What we're perceiving through the senses is just a tiny sliver of a much greater reality that lies beyond the physical body. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's kind of the holy grail is to get ourselves to the point where we can expand into the field of superconsciousness and information and reality. But let's start with something you talk about, which is looking at our everyday awareness as kind of like a fireworks show in the brain. Yes, I think it. Uh, one of the kind of takeaways I had from the deep research I did into neuroscience was sort of the dismaying realization that a lot of what I take for granted as uh, behaviors and experiences that I chose to have were, were actually the automatic responses of neural circuits that I had created through the course of my life firing automatically. We are much more automatic in our behavior than I think most of us would like to believe. <laughs> um, and so I likened that to a fireworks show because it's very uh, associative. So we have one neural circuit fires and it triggers one memory, but that will then trigger another neural circuit that will uh, send us down a train of thought. All the while we could be having emotional responses to those memories, to those thoughts, uh, also to sensory input you know, the taste of things, the sounds we're listening to, all of that just takes over and becomes a unstoppable chain reaction of neural circuits firing, which for many of our days, and I'll include myself in this, we're just watching a fireworks show that's going off automatically in our mind. And it's not the same fireworks show every day, but a lot of the elements are the same. And you really have to become focused and present to stop the automatic fireworks show. So the, the term you've used is we become neurally um, unaccustomed to or unavailable to be able to sense into the subtle. And so I would ask you this. I mean, that's soup. That's I, I really like to play with that notion for a moment. So we've got this automatic stuff, things we're familiar with, the brain's firing, automatic programming, responses, emotions, thoughts going on a good percentage of the time. That means we're missing the subtle information in and around us at the same time. So how are, why are we wired to miss that subtle inadvertently or whether we've programmed it ourselves or society has, why are we wired to miss this whole range of subtle material? Well, I think you put your finger on it. It was inadvertent choice that we made without realizing what the, the depth of consequence is of choosing to be so interested in everything that's happening around us. And the deck is sort of stacked. 
it, because everyone around us is also interested in it. And as children, we just go with the flow and we start creating our own neural circuits in our brains that eventually become the fireworks show that we have as adults. But when we were children, especially very, very young, infants to two and three years old, many small children have subtle awareness. They see astral lights around people. They see angels coming to them and they even interact with them in some cases. Uh, so our natural awareness is not necessarily predetermined, but we make that choice at some point in our life. Now, the good news is that we can choose to become aware of the more subtle realities if we want to. And we can rewire the brain that we wired unknowingly, inadvertently to, to block that sort of awareness from our life, but we can rewire to have it. So arguably, I know this is just, this is something you can't actually put a number to, but just have fun with it. What percentage of this, this reality, the true reality that we're bathed in is actually the subtle reality versus our narrow understanding, narrow band of reality? Well, I would make a distinction there to try to answer your question is one is that we are aware of subtle reality. We're just not, we just don't know that we're aware of subtle reality. Yeah, well, it <laughs> makes know? it a little less functional. <laughs> we, we, we couldn't exist if it weren't for our subtle bodies. We couldn't exist if it weren't for our um, inseparable connection to spirit. So that is always there and it's always operating through us, but we've been conditioned by society and unfortunately by modern science to think that none of those things can be real. And therefore we assume that everything we experience, especially thoughts, emotions, memories, life force, emotional reactions to things, we think that all of those things are products of the brain that the brain somehow these little firing of neurons creates some sort of field that wouldn't otherwise exist. And in that electromagnetic field, all these things exist. And again, the assumption there is that when we die, so does the field, we're gone. But in truth, what saints and sages tell us, near-death experiencers tell us, what psychics tell us, is that we are simultaneously in two realities. We're simultaneously in this local physical reality, and we're simultaneously in a non-local pure energy reality, which is known as the astral or energetic realms or the spirit realms. And that we have a body that is completely connected to the physical body. There's no daylight, if you will, between your astral body and your physical body. It's not as if the physical body exists sort of separately from it because the astral body is continuously creating the physical body. It's continuously operating <clears throat> within our moment by moment re reality. And it's in that more subtle reality that we have our thoughts, that we have our feelings that we have our intelligently guided life force that keeps us healthy and keeps our body working. All of those things are always there, they're always present, but it's it's um, 
it's as if this uh, firework show is so engrossing that we just can't see the rest. And if we if we stop, if we remove ourselves, take inward steps back from the fireworks show, we very quickly can become aware of our subtle self, you know, more directly. It's always operating, but we're not aware of it. But we can choose to become aware of it. Choose to become and, aware. Yeah. Yeah. It, I was going to add another overlay to it. Now, this is before we go into M theory and all of that, um, the notion that as you say, when you leave the body, when the physical, this physical portion of reality is finished, um, it's not as though everything dissolves. It's not, I mean, yes, we have this, everyone has a name, soul, spirit, um, each tradition calls it something different. And we, this reality continues on as in the tradition of knowledge I have, we can call it the higher mind, which is the higher connection with the soul, carries forth with the, sub, the body of subconscious information to yet another incarnation. So here you have programming oh, immediately upon taking a body, you're bringing in higher mind connected with your soul. You're also bringing in subconscious information to illuminate you uh, to whether it's you know, beauty or threats from the past. And so the programming starts from the second you're born, really. Yeah, or even in the womb. In the womb, yeah. You begin to create new neural circuits. So I completely agree. Um, you know, the way I would describe it is that we have this vast body of past life memory yeah. and past life experience, not just our most previous lifetime. Exactly. But lifetimes and lifetimes. Our library. But, and when we come in to a, a new birth, there is a dynamic that goes on between what stimulates past tendencies and past abilities in this physical realm. So it, it awakens things that are in that, that sort of infinite subconscious, superconscious mind that is always a part of us. And so we don't bring necessarily everything into any one life, but we do have this library, as you say, of uh, past tendencies. Many people can experience past life memories, not always recognizing them for what they are. There are many children who will say to their parents things like, well, when are we going to go back and live in the in the White House we used to have? And the parents know that there wasn't any White house in their last few years while the child was born but the child is remembering something uh just pulling it in because it's a part of who they are it's part of their memory we become conditioned we just become much more uh focused on what we're experiencing now in the physical body and all those other things tend to recede uh, now there are people who are gifted sometimes might not feel like a gift always but there are people yeah. who are gifted who are in and out of both worlds and can and see their present life as an expression of past life tendencies they see their connections to other people immediately from past lives and i'm always fascinated by this but in talking to psychics that i've known that have become good friends it's a very challenging experience to have especially as a child when you don't realize that no one else is <laughs> having this this dual awareness like yeah. they are so it can it can be confusing but the potential is always there and it really comes down to what do you focus your attention on 
deliberately. And the, the senses and the activities that you do are the easiest thing to focus on because they are automatic. You're like propelled into them. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, you realize, oh, <laughs> I had another day of the fireworks show and, and, <laughs> I, didn't, and I didn't change. Uh, I didn't my, learn my anything new. <laughs> yeah. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. You brought up something that I think is interesting and, and that is the way I view it as well, that though you have this library you carry with you, so to speak, this this super conscious, subconscious body of everything that's ever been um, for you, you don't bring all that in to every incarnation. You might bring in something very specific from an incarnation that you're building on in this time, a certain set of characteristics or talents, skills, understandings that may have been five or six or a hundred lifetimes ago. And now this time the stage is set, the people around you are set, the time is set where you can now start building upon that body of knowledge. It's not everything or we'd all be insane, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, I completely agree. And and it can be, as you say, something we're building on, a quality or an ability or the 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 uh, particular insight that we have. This is also true, though, and, and I'm sure that you've talked many people who have found this, is that things come into their lives that are inexplicably challenging. Oh, yeah. <laughs> out of the blue. So you can also be bringing in old stuff that you need to uh, overcome, you know, and in, in uh, the yoga tradition, Hindu tradition, it's just called karma. You have you have past experiences that need to be resolved, and they will pop up when least expected, sometimes in the middle of a life, or it can be the driver of a life, that this is when you have to resolve that. This is when you have to work it out, and it doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem right, perhaps, but it is happening because it's kind yeah, of it's, um, if you look at it in isolation it isn't fair but if you could look at it in the continuum of who and what you are there's always balance and grace and fairness i mean as ugly as it seems and right now a lot of people feel we're in such chaotic times certainly not the most brutal times we've been in as human beings not at all right. but certainly confusing and chaotic times that many people feel as very dark but that's just one little time stamp in the continuum yeah no, I agree. And regardless of whether you're having, um, you're building some new, completely new, nothing to do with past lives, or that you're building on something you started in a past life, or whether you're dealing with something negative from a past life, you always have the same option, which is to also choose to add more subtle awareness into your day-to-day -day life. Very good point. And I think that's the key to breaking through the limits of the brain is to understand that you're not leaving this plane unless you're an extraordinary advanced uh, master. But by becoming more aware of the subtle reality that is always there, you're elevated. Uh, just the simple equation is the more aware you are of your subtle body, the higher your consciousness, the, the more harmonious your emotions, the clearer your mind. 
And it's not an either or. You're not either in that awareness or not. It's all a matter of degree. So as we meditate, we can um, uh, find our way into that uh, higher consciousness, and then it changes our day. We may be dealing with the same issues, or we may be taking advantage of the same opportunities, but because we have kind of supercharged our awareness, we deal with them much differently, much and in a much better fashion. And everything has context then. It's when yes. you're feeling like, whoa, why is this happening to me? That's out of context. And it's very important, I think, for us to be able to regain a sense of the subtle information. What's going on? Why am I learning this? And so forth. So it has a context again. And then people don't feel so kind of um, almost deceived by life sometimes. Oh, yeah. I think it's the reason why a lot of people walk away from spirituality and religion altogether. Yeah. Is it just, you know, why is my life so hard? Right. And or why is my friend's life so hard? What has this got to do with a benign God? And they they just go away from it. So right. I think the only way that, you know, frankly, the only way you can understand God as a benign creator, a benign presence, a benign friend, is to accept reincarnation, is to accept that Absolutely. we are working our way through life after life until we reclaim, regain our oneness with God. Otherwise, yeah. it, it just seems no like a random <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I, I really, I always wonder myself, how do people that have no sense of the continuum of life of reincarnation make it through their lives thinking that this this life is random all these horrible things seem to randomly be happening it, it creates a type of as i again i said context and an under deeper understanding template grace even so i i'm with you i've never understood how people could get through life sanely without the understanding of reincarnation you've been here before and you're going to be here again <laughs> so. yeah and of course the fundamental that you know we're both taking for granted here but it which is even more powerful is accepting that you are an undying immortal absolutely so that you can step back in a way emotionally from challenges in your own life and say this is passing this is not me the outcome of this is not going to uh, determine my degree of happiness, my degree of success, whatever measure you want to choose. This is a passing thing that could take this entire lifetime to pass, but it might just be a year or two. It gives you, I think, a perspective that is so uh, happiness creating, so peace creating to you that this is not all there is. Absolutely. And you, like you said, we take it for granted and it goes without saying, and that is the most powerful thing about us. So let's talk for a moment about how all this and <clears throat> subtle information and fields kind of fold into M theory and, and M theory just being kind of a unified a unified system of thinking around string theory, because there are a lot of different string theories. So they've been right. collapsed into a unified understanding called M theory. I looked it up. I thought, yeah, where's the M come from? So now you tell me if this is true. This is what this is what I found on the net. 
It said M stands for magic, mystery, or matrix. Yes. And I've heard other words too. Uh, even the physicists who study it all disagree on you know, <laughs> what that actually ever meant at any one time. Um, so M theory to me is one of the most significant intersections between uh, the physical sciences and the underlying spiritual truths that are shared by saints and sages and psychics and mystics. M theory posits uh, that there is a vast non-local realm that is pure energy. Now that sounds an awful lot like a vast astral realm that is pure light. The, the parallel is hard to miss. And in that vast energy realm posited by M-theory, there are layers or what they call brains. And each brain has a higher energy density uh, or lower energy density, the lowest at the bottom of the stack, so to speak. They often refer to the brains as being like um, slices of bread out of a loaf. You know, they're stacked one on top of the other. And this is amazingly similar to the notion that there are layers of heaven, levels of heaven. In Christianity, you have the highest heavens, the third heaven. In Buddhism, you have many, many layers of heaven. The uh, Hindus have seven layers. So you get this great conformance there. Then the other thing that M-theory puts forward, which I find fascinating, is the notion of the universe, our universe, being a holographic projection from the infinite, essentially infinite energy realm that is non-local and that exists outside of the physical universe. And that this is a continuous process. The uh, entire universe is not a static thing that started with uh, a blast of energy and then was just kind of cast adrift, if you will, to, uh, to, to work its own destiny out by its own natural laws. What they're saying with M-theory is that it's almost like a movie playing from the birth of the universe with the Big Bang or whatever it is, whatever that birth is, whether you believe it's Big Bang or not, that that's all part of this holographic projection and that in steps along the way, there is the birth of life. Uh, underlying it all already is the birth of consciousness and so forth. So this very much fits in with the notion of higher spiritual teachings that the heavens uh, create the earth, that the heavens are the templates for the earth. Near-death experiencers often say when they go to the heavens that they look like the earth, only they're much better. <laughs> they're much more beautiful. They're much more pure. The flowers are just, uh, just so much more amazingly beautiful than the ones on earth. And they see the earth as a, like a, a poor reflection or a, or a more crude rendition of, of the original template. Yeah. Of the original template. Uh -huh. And so 
This would make sense from the point of view of M theory as well, that the pure energy realm that provides the natural laws and the templates of forms, etc., to create the physical universe is more pure, more precise, more exact, where the physical universe, now that it's had space and matter added to it, as well as the energy in it, is just a, a cruder version of the same thing. And this also holds for our individual bodies. When near-death experiencers and others uh, talk about uh, going to the heavens, many of them are, are, are really not sure whether they're dead or not, because what they see is a body exactly like the one they had. And it, it is the body they had. It's just the subtle body that they always had. But because it looks so much like the physical body that, that they are more familiar with through the senses, it fools them. They don't realize for some time uh, that they no longer are wearing their physical body. And the astral world itself seems very much like what they experience on Earth. They walk, they talk, they have arms and legs just like they do uh, on Earth. So that connection of the subtle energy body, the astral body, uh, continuously creating the physical body is supported by M-theory in the same way that the uh, energy and intelligent order in the energy realm is simultaneously, continuously creating the physical universe. It's happening all the time. But would you say there are original projectors of this reality, original mind? When you talk about fields of energy and fields of light, to me, those are also fields of information, just raw, pure information. And I mean it in the truest sense of the word. Yeah. Creative building uh, blocks. One of the things that I draw upon in the, from the teachings of Yogananda, that's really kind of my main focus of, of teachings, I, I'm broad-minded, I read all sorts of things, but, you know, those teachings sort of have been a backbone for me of how I understand. And one of the things that Yogananda says is that, unlike on Earth, all energy beyond physical creation is inherently intelligent. Yes. That whether it takes That's what the form I'm getting of, to. A, of a field or takes the form of light or takes the form of images, it's all intelligently coordinated because it's we're one step closer when we're in the astral to the uh, actual creation mechanism, which is pure intelligence, pure energy, pure consciousness, which is another way of describing God or spirit. Exactly. And that's how I see it, as you have the basic building blocks, prima materia, the just the basic soup of potential. You have logos, which is the essential, the essence of mind, desire. One impregnating the other, imprinting upon the other, and the process of creation at the most primal levels begin. But the reality is, I mean, the, all the universes are created out of Logos and Prima Materia. Um, but the, the, the cool thing is, it's also created out of every single thought we have. 
we are the logos and the field is our prima materia and we are creating just as the universe was creating all the time that's why it's such a shame if we're doing it in such a with such a limited set of tools and not tapping into the subtle realities and the incredible power of the great mind the mind not the brain right now i agree uh, wholeheartedly i mean i think the the old phrase that is used um is a good one is they were co-creators yes and we've been uh, as as heirs to the divine. We have all the powers and abilities of the divine. We, fortunately, in a way, I think this is part of the planning, is that we do not have access to complete control over those powers and abilities until we become more refined. Yes. Otherwise, we could make a really horrible mess of this world and ourselves, but that it is nonetheless the power that is being used by our subtle body to create our physical body. We're just not aware. And this has deep layers of significance for us because when we have a strong emotion, it's easy to think, well, this is separate from my physical body. It's separate from my, uh, you know, the physicality that I experience daily. But in fact, what's happening is that strong emotion is reverberating through your subtle energy body mm -hmm. and immediately changing the holographic projection that is your physical body. It's instantaneous. Absolutely. And, and it affects every atom and molecule in your body. Okay. So I'm going to bring this up. Okay. I was having dinner. I told I've told this story before a time or two in the last 10 years. So someone may that's listening may have heard it, but probably not. I was having dinner with a man who was a physicist and he happened to be um, the science advisor to President Reagan. It was he's a much older man uh, who I'd bump into the coffee shop. Uh, we chat about things and we were chatting and I said, so what are you working on now? His name was Werner Lowenstein. What are you working on now? And he said, I am working on a book that helps us understand how individuated consciousness occurs at birth, how the mind becomes individuated. I said, oh, that sounds interesting. Do you know the answer? And he said, no, but I will by the time I finish. <laughs> so I went to bed that night and I woke up in the morning and I, um, I heard something. And in fact, it says, this is these were the exact words I heard because I wrote them down. So I, I just wrote them down a bit ago. The organizing principle between quantum coherence and the development of the individuated human mind is the intention of the soul, which would indicate that the soul is doing a little bit of data input as the body coming from the subtle realms as the fetus and body is developing to create some of the traits it needs or, or prefers for this given incarnation now as more as a physicist looking at it from that point of view he he did not listen he said where did this come from and i said oh it i got it in crossover state he dismissed it yeah. <laughs> Now, I explained it to another physicist, and he totally, he, he dissected it for me, William Brown. What is your take on that? I've always wanted intelligent takes on that because I could see it. I could see how it works when I was being shown it. Well, I, I think where I would go to is the oft-repeated story about uh, 
this is often told by near-death experiencers, but not exclusively by them, that when we are preparing to take on a new incarnation, we often have what I think of as kind of uh, my my core team of advisors, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, my angels, my my astral friends, my astral teachers come together and basically coach me that this is what you should focus on in this life. This is your contract, as it said, this is your mission. And that once that agreement is reached, then you go into forgetfulness. There's very, very few people who remember leaving the astral regions and absolutely with, with continuity all the way through their gestation and into birth. So there's a forgetfulness that happens. But I think that is uh, where, where the astral body doesn't have to go through that. The astral body remains as it was, but it that becomes... Can some, that can have some influence and imprint on the development of the human body. Is yeah. That's what I saw, and that's what you're saying. Yeah. Our astral body contains all those intentions. It contains all those uh, abilities, sort of, if you will, brought to the fore, so that you come into a life with those you know, ready to affect the body, you know, the, if, if you have some uh, karma, dharma, intention to be a superb athlete, it probably begins to affect your body, rearranges what DNA is uh, being activated to create the right proteins to build That's a what really I was athletic saying. body or whatever you yeah. need. Yeah, so exactly. all of those things come from what's in the in that astral body projection, and then it becomes inevitably the the astral projection or uh, the holographic projection, rather, that is the physical body. Yes, okay, that makes perfect sense. That's another way to say this that is uh, purely, to me, very logical. Um, and if you look at it from a, a denser point of view, from a re, um, an emotionally reactive point of view during the development of the uh, fetus, for example, then you're down to epigenetics. You know, obviously what's going on in our environment as the fetus is developing. I think one of the examples used in um, Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton ages ago was the notion of a child being born into an, a violent environment started having, having they and their siblings, uh, a thickening of the skull. Uh, because there was a chance of being in danger physically when they came into the world. And so that's just the dense version. We're talking about the more subtle, refined version from the top down part, and perhaps a little bit of the epigenetics slipping in underneath it. Well, I think you're one of the things that your astral body, your ever-present astral body, your ever-present subtle body brings to the... Um, whole relationship between physical body and and astral body is that it's it's in charge mm -hmm. it is the intelligent life force that is maintaining sustaining evolving the physical body so um it completely takes over the dna in every cell of the body and uses every cell to express exactly what's needed. So yeah. there are many, many examples of how responsive the physical body is. If you if you do something repetitive that flexes a, a bone in your body, 
the the body will start to build more bone cells on mm -hmm. the side to keep it from flexing. So it stiffens it stiffens it for you. So the the body and brain are incredibly obliging servants for whatever the soul and the subtle body is trying to do through it. Uh, yes, uh, there's the old saying that I love, which is that um, you're when you're 20, you have the face you were born with. And when you're 40, you have the face you deserve that you you <laughs> don't so stay static. Now, that face at 40 could be even more beautiful, right? It could yeah. be radiant. It could be full of joy and life yeah. and magnetic or it could it, be whichever way you spells. go is the one you've created yes yep. absolutely okay so now let's get to the how-to part so we get the notion we're in this incredible symphony of frequencies we're in and i don't mean it in a in a conspiratorial um disempowering way in the greatest sense of the word we're in this constantly co-creating a kind of holographic reality and everyone in every realm throughout the universes is having their own unique experience of this and so considering all of this how do we begin connecting then in i know you meditate every day and so that's probably the answer but how would you say the quickest path easiest most sure path to allowing ourselves to connect with higher mind, i.e. all of the subtle frequencies around us um, so that we can literally live a much fuller life, a much more, a life filled with grace and with context. Well, I think I love the way you said that because I think when you say meditation, um, people think of it almost like a static exercise. So mm -hmm. every day I meditate for whatever length of time. And then that's that's done and I go on with my day. But I think what you said is the best way to explain it is I haven't been meditating for 50 years. I've been connecting to spirit for 50 years mm -hmm. through the agency of meditation. So if you meditate even a little, you'll begin to feel that connection. It's there's a phrase uh, or a word in Indian teachings called smriti which is loosely translated as divine memory. And what it implies is that as we have these growing experiences in meditation, they just seem so familiar because they're memories. They're not, you know, totally new territory that we've never been before. We're just remembering who and what we really are. And it feels so right. It feels so satisfying. It's like, oh, yeah. of course, this is the way I should feel all the time. Yeah. This is the kind of person that I should bring into action in my daily life. And that's what meditation is all about, is connecting. Now, there are things that we may have to deal with, and I spend a, a British bit of time in my book, Break Through the Limits of the Brain, talking about this is that we may have life issues that keep pulling us away from meditating or pulling us away from connecting to spirit. And they're very compelling. And I would generally classify them as uh, negative emotions. Now, there's a school of thought that there is no such thing as negative emotion. Emotion is just emotion. And it... Um, 
can be useful to you, you know, that anger can get you through difficult times, etc. But I would just put a different definition on what I mean by negative emotions. Anything that habitually uh, gets you more enthralled with the issues of your daily life and brings up for you unwanted feelings and unwanted behaviors that are interfering with your life, I would say those are negative emotions. So, and that's why they're negative is they pull us away. So if you, if you do find yourself having this kind of challenge in your life, and it's certainly not unusual, then I highly recommend introspection and affirmation as a, as a, as a pair of complementary activities. So introspection is more than just occasionally kind of tuning into how am I doing? It's really a methodical process of either daily or a couple times a week, or at the very least once a week, taking the time to look at your life and ask a question and ask the same question for a long period of time. So if you're dealing with, uh, let's say you're always feeling threatened by your life, that it, it stresses you out because everything from one perspective seems to be going wrong in your life and it's always challenging in you and things are just never working out and therefore you don't feel safe. So if that is an issue you're going through with and that leads to stress and makes it impossible for you to meditate, then take time every day if possible to ask yourself the question, what made me feel unsafe today? And after you begin to see a pattern of what the things are that are making you feel unsafe, ask a deeper sort of level of it. And that is, does this happen in all contexts? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that my boss makes me unsafe, but in other instances, other things make me feel unsafe. So you begin, begin to see something running deeper in you. And as you get more and more clear on what it is that makes you unsafe, this prepares you to choose an affirmation, which is like the antidote positive expression to what is making you feel unsafe in this case, or anything that your introspection reveals to you. Um, those affirmations then become a deliberate way of creating a new neural circuit in your brain. And you talk a lot about neural circuitry of the brain, and this is key. This is everything. Well, if you don't create new, better neural circuits, right. it's going to live with your old circuits. Right. They're, right. They're, they're pretty. They're pretty set in their ways. If you're certainly my age, but even uh, by the time you're in your twenties, a lot of your patterns are set. So unless you deliberately create a new neural circuit with new intention, you're pretty much going to just watch your life unfold according to what you've set in motion. So find an affirmation, you know, that uh, could be, I am safe, I am sound, I exist in the loving arms of the divine. 
Now that may not be the best one for a person, but it's just I'm just using it as an example. Once you've figured out what the antidote is, then, and this is where most people don't make good use of affirmations, is you need to say it methodically for weeks to months. It needs to be something that just becomes a, a running thought in the background of your mind. And in, in quiet moments, you just repeat that affirmation. If you meditate, at the end of your meditation, you say it with intensity. And the key thing is that you have to get to the point where you actually believe it emotionally. Yes. You feel it. Yes. By saying it, you go, oh, I do feel safe. I am sound because the spirit is within me. And you know it in your heart of hearts. Then you keep going because you're just starting to really make that new neural circuit powerful. That's very well said. And and I'll just toss in here another slim little volume that is really helpful in terms of guiding people through the real art of contemplation. It was written by Richard Rudd, the creator of the Gene Keys. Wonderful little book called The Art of Contemplation. Very similar to what you're saying. You're saying that takes you through this art, this art form of going deeper and deeper into yourself over time in a very loving, embracing way, very much like what you just said. So another resource out there for it. Yeah. So those two are very powerful. Yes. But you don't necessarily have to do the significant introspection, affirmation, if you are already perfectly able to meditate. Because if you if you don't have things that just keep dragging you away from meditation, Put all your juice there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Put all your attention there because that connects you directly to the expansive healing, uh, intelligence awakening, uh, joy creating spirit that was is within you. And when you feel that connection, then it just flows through everything in your life. The other thing I always recommend, um, and I do also in the book, is to uh, learn to be creative, you know, awaken that uh, you're a co-creator, but you're not a co-creator when you're on autopilot. You you may have already created all those neural circuits by being a co-creator, but then you go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> is so like your true. life is set in motion and, and you're done. But you can do everything with creativity. And in so doing, it makes you more present and it... Um, elevates your awareness of what you're doing. So it can be little tiny things. So like I, years and years ago, I took over the household dishes. So I always do the dishes. So for me, I always want to do it as efficiently as I possibly can. So I've developed all these little tiny things that I do to make it go faster. And I'm done with that particular uh, kind of creativity, but there's no part of your life where you can't Take that pause and think, how do I make this part of my life serve me better? And if you run into something where you, I don't know how, meditate on it, think about it, come up yeah. with creative solutions. And then that will lead to bigger creativity and greater creativity, a key to which is concentration. The, the other thing that the continuous fireworks show does 
to us is that it is the source of the oft quoted um, statistic that the average person has a three second concentration span. So you don't have to live with that. If as you meditate and learn to deliberately use your mind to be focused, you can concentrate on things for much longer. And when you do, you get intuition, you get wonderful creative ideas. Uh, it's really how I wrote all the books that I wrote. So I would uh, meditate on and think about what's coming up. I would even have you know an entire paragraph almost written word for word in my meditation. But more often it's, this is the next idea you need to present. And mm -hmm. These are the key ways that you can support it. And here's a great story that will make that come alive for people. And that just comes bubbling up. I don't feel like it's me per se. It's me in the, in the greater me, in the soul level, uh, divine self level, but at an ego level, I don't, I feel like those ideas are coming from somewhere else. Right. And you can always tell when they're good because they feel really, they move me. You know, yes. I, think, oh, I, just, I can't wait to share and that an with of someone. Surprise. There's an element of surprise. It's not habitual. Right. Yeah, that's wonderful. And all of this is in your book. Yes. And so what we need to do is just um, encourage people to pick up a copy if they can break through the limits of the mind, because we go through all of this from M theory down to how you start really working with the mind to allow it to focus, expand, concentrate and open to the subtle realms. And then you're really cooking. That's when life is fun. That's when yes. everything comes alive. Joseph, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. And I want to say uh, just to the audience, I'll be interviewing Joseph uh, on at Gaia in November, which will probably come out in the spring on his other book, The Physics of God. That's right. You're, you're going to show up, aren't you, in Boulder? <laughs> I am. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Good. So we'll be doing... The other story, which has just some phenomenal uh, stories in there about how quickly even our physical reality, our physical bodies change with the introduction of a new thought from the greater mind. It's, it's really powerful stuff. So, Joseph, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And everybody, be sure to pick up a copy of Breakthrough the Limits of the Brain. You can find it in most e-tailers and lots of bookstores. You can also go to my website, josephselby.com. Selby is an unusual spelling, S-E-L-B-I-E. So yeah. that's josephselby.com. And you'll find more information about all my books and other articles and materials there, plus a um, lesson in how to meditate if you want to. Yeah. Take that, jump. take that dive. Well, thank you for doing my work for me because the way Zoom's working today, I can't put me up on the screen to finish it off. So I had you finish it for us. So thanks again, everybody. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on ReginaMeredith.com.